Hi, Connectors. Welcome to another episode of Connected the Podcast. I would like to dedicate this episode to my family, my loves, my people, and my city of Baton Rouge and surrounding areas that were affected by flooding. My heart weeps for the families who lost loved ones. My heart goes out to the families who lost their homes, vehicles, and memories. And my love goes out to those people in the States and all around the world who poured their hearts into Louisiana during this time of devastation. Though it saddens me that my childhood memories, travel souvenirs, and academic awards are destroyed, I am reminded that I am highly blessed to still have my family who will be waiting for me at the airport next week. To my birthplace, my hometown, my city, people, loves, and family. In the words of Andrew Day, remember, all we need is hope. And for that, we have each other. In spite of the ache, we will rise. We will rise, Baton Rouge. We will rise. This is the first episode since celebrating one year of connecting artists from all around the world. From the bottom of my heart, I thank each and every one of you connectors who have subscribed and stayed tuned into my journey of connecting artists. And in this episode, just in time for a back-to-school pep talk, I connected with artist, poet, writer-educator, certified yogi, speaker, advocate for education with a focus on teacher warriors, a teacher warrior herself and native Atlantan, Sharon Jackson. Sharon has so much wisdom to share with teachers, parents, students, and of course, you connectors. So you already know what to do. Sit back, relax, do what you do, whatever you do while listening to a podcast, and Let's get connected. We are connected. What is education? Education from the Latin educare or educere, depending on how you pronounce it, is about drawing forth what's in someone, calling forth. So Knowing that and believing that, I believe that everyone is gifted. And as an educator, I'm responsible for having the expectation, the great expectations, that that student will allow that gift to be called out, called forward um, during our time together or even maybe a little bit of time after that. You heard her. Welcome, Miss Sharon Jackson, to Connect with the Podcast. How are you today? Oh, I'm well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. Oh, no. Thank you for inviting me into your space, into your home. I am so excited about this interview, this connection, because it's been many months awaiting, and finally the time has come, and we are here to talk about you, to connect with you. Yes, I'm excited as well. It has been many months and so much has happened since we originally talked about this. And 
I'm even more excited about the interview at this point. Oh, yay. So you're from one of the hottest states in the States, Hotlanta. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was born in the city of Atlanta. And not Decatur, not Smyrna, and outside the city of Atlanta in the southwest area of Atlanta. Yes. Okay, so you are an ATLian. Indeed, I am. <laughs> we are real, and yes, I, I am one of them. Yes. All right. So tell me, what was life like growing up as a Georgia peach? Wow, um, at growing up, um, very young, I didn't even, we weren't aware of the Georgia peach thing. And I don't know that that was associated with African Americans. Um, so I always tell people, well, at first, we, we were, I was more of a, a pecan, a, a Georgia pecan. And, um, you know, some people tease and say, okay, that's a nut. Uh -huh. But, you know, we keep going. But um, the Georgia peach, that legacy, pecans, um, dogwoods, pine trees, that red clay, yeah. that's all a part of who I am today. It fuels, enriches everything that I do or touch today. And um, the time just we, that we spent outside um, in creeks, in the woods, um, taking rocks and drawing on the street to play Foursquare or things like that, we learned a lot about self-reliance, mm -hmm. um, recycling, and we learned a lot about things before they became popular um, or things that people now have to teach as a part of a curriculum or a social movement. Like what? Like uh, respecting uh, nature, uh, cleaning up after ourselves, not wasting not just food, but also tools and things like that. So a lot of our toys were pieces of wood uh, or bricks or other types of stones that um, construction workers used. And well, they didn't need that part. And they would leave that behind and we'd gather those and build structures. And um, we were always using like old sheets that we couldn't use on the beds anymore for tents outside. I remember using a mattress frame for the base of a tent that we built by throwing the sheet over the clothesline hmm. that was attached to trees. And we had a little picnic inside. Our mothers and aunts were always, and uncles and grandfathers, my grandmother, were always supporting that kind of creativity. So we had a million plays that we wrote, we maybe copied from something we read. We were always creating and um, playing. And even when we had to rest, like sometimes it would just say, okay, now it's time to sit down. Mm -hmm. We'd be thinking things and sending signals to each other from our little seats and that's a big part of that legacy. And now they're having to teach people how to play. I, I have to sit in innovation meetings and creativity meetings in my schools because somehow people forgot mm. to be creative. And I think we all started doing the same things for whatever the reasons were. But now we're like, no, I'm bored as a teacher when students present one PowerPoint after another on the same topic. Mm. So I have to change it up. 
Okay. So you said we. Do you have any siblings? I have siblings. I have um, one sister. She's a year older. I have um, two brothers. One has passed away. But I have cousins, and we all grew up in the same house okay. with our cousins. And um, we had children on the street. There were so many children on the street our age, and people, we, we played outside then mm -hmm. as kids. So that's the big we. Um, so anytime we wanted to do a carnival, you know, we had people who would come. Wait, a carnival? Like, let's go down to the state fair at the state grounds type of carnival? Okay, based on our experiences at the Lakewood Fairgrounds, um, we did come home and build rides and um, experiences. What? <laughs> you built a ride, like you built a roller coaster. <laughs> really? Okay. The roller coaster was a skate, some skates that we connected to a piece of wood, a board. And then we put another board down on a hill in the backyard. And, you know, you pay a ticket, which was some kind of leaf, one kind of leaf or another. Yes. And you could ride down this hill on our makeshift skateboards. This was before skateboards were a big deal. We didn't know. Wow. So what about like the Ferris wheel? Ferris wheel, as close as we could come to that, was using some outdoor furniture. There was a rocking chair and placing that in front of a, a bush. I don't know what it was called. It wasn't the hydrangea bush. It was something else. And we knew that it was really dark inside. Mm -hmm. And so the Ferris wheel piece of that was turning the person sitting in the chair, um, backward into this bush huh. and letting them stay for a while. <laughs> and there was that one time that my cousin and I turned the passenger back uh -huh. and he was too heavy oh, no. for us to lift him. Uh -huh. So we didn't know what to do, so we ran inside our house and hid behind what's, what was called a hi-fi. What's, um, what's that? Hi-fi... Uh, is or used to be this box that was pretty long that had a, a phonograph in it okay. and a, a radio console you could listen to the radio and then there was something else on the side I don't remember but it was huge a much like a credenza in a home now okay a yes okay okay that's what a hi-fi so we hid behind the hi-fi and then we thought maybe he would like I don't know get help somehow but when we looked out of the window just popped our heads up we could see him running home oh no your first customer disappointed customer i would think he was the only one that was disappointed okay but he never asked for his ticket back <laughs> that is too cute and clearly you are like to your core a creator, an artist. I'm so excited. I'm more excited now just okay. to get in your brain. I want to know more about you. So growing up, you had these authentic experiences as a creator. Did you ever take any formal lessons like in writing or maybe music? Um, the intention was around music and my mother and I had talked about it. 
uh, she had started piano lessons, and I thought, well, I'll do that. Um, but I never got around to that. There was one season I was supposed to start, and I ended up being a, a cheerleader for a semi-pro team. Um, but the formal instruction in writing, I never had that other than school. But even by second grade, I was speaking um, poetically with language, and I had a fascination for uh, reading uh, very early on. I really wanted to decode mm -hmm. uh, messages. So um, it's always been there, and I've taken everything. We were taught phonics mm -hmm. early on, year after year after year. And um, that was when, I mean, I just, I went to an excellent school. I had excellent teachers. Um, we had people who were parents who were parenting. So that's so different from what we're seeing now in education. But that was the, the training on developing our vocabulary. I remember my second grade teacher having something called a prescriptive reading inventory. And these were self-selected um, tasks, meaning students could choose what they wanted to do. Hmm. And that was my all day, like, that was wonderful. So any downtime, we did have downtime and recess then. Um, I could go up and choose a card and work on those. So I remember learning um, the rules of language and learning about um, emphatic speech in the second grade wow. because those kinds of things were in there. So um, the formal training in writing, no, it's always been there. Um, I've always been a poet. If I think of like all of the things I do now, I was just born that way. Wow. I remember saying to my mother, I have this thought in my head. I have this thing on my mind. And it was, shall I rest upon your breast and think of silent fears? Or should I step and walk away and cry? my many tears. It was something like that. And she said, where did you get that? And I said, it was in my mind. And she just gave me this look. She gave me that look often. <laughs> but um, it was okay. And I went off to play somewhere. Like, I just wanted to share that with her. Wow. Yeah. That was beautiful. Got me, like, tearing up. <laughs> and how old were you, like, saying these beautiful yeah, words? This was uh, second grade. So, um, seven six or seven, seven or eight, I think. Wow. I was still reading like the Babysitter's Club and still trying to figure out myself. And you're with these phenomenal words and poems at the age of seven. Incredible. Yeah, I was figuring it out too. I, I, I was. And I think that's still the thing that because I had learned something or figured something out, People don't understand that I'm still figuring it out. Mm. Um, my grandfather was in his 70s uh, when he, he would still say to us, I'm still growing, you know, and, and growth is about learning. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I'm still doing that. So, yes, I had plenty of growing up to do. Yeah. Okay. So when I see you, and as you, I think, would describe yourself, you are a certified yoga instructor, a writer educator. Um, gosh, you just have so many titles. A poet, an artist, an advocate for education with a focus on teacher warriors. How would you describe yourself? Mm. I describe myself as I describe my life. And we had to do this as an assignment in uh, a class. And what I came up with is my life is a beautiful walk with God on my way to becoming home. Mm. And I'm that traveler. And sometimes, you know, I'm on that path and I know exactly where I'm headed. Other times I wander off and have to like circle back maybe a year later, a month later. Um, I'm that traveler and I do like firmly believe that I made a promise before coming to the planet about um, helping. And as long as I keep that promise, I'm good with this life. Um, I got sidetracked and thought, oh, well, I need to leave. Um, people need to know my name. I want to be remembered. And that's not even a priority at this point. Um, it's more about doing the work. Okay. Wow. I'm just... <laughs> So you leave me lost for words, and I have like a book of questions here, and I just wanted to sit here and just stare at you. <laughs> but I won't. I'll move on. <laughs> what inspired you to become a teacher? Wow. Uh, what inspired me? I had thought that I would never do it. Um, but... After I was separated, I needed to find a way to support myself and my son. And that was one of the things that people suggested. So I went on several interviews for many different things just to get work. And uh, one of the things was um, substitute teaching. And I went into that thinking just just do this for a little while, and then you won't have to go into a classroom anymore. But I felt a great need there. I came to a place where it was time to, for me to um, go to law school. Mm. There's um, um, ministry. Um, it's like a law degree, and you come out with a master's in divinity, and I think Emory, and I love oh, Emory University. I'm familiar love it. with that program. I read that and I said, this is for me. And um, I was talking to a friend, a group of friends, and um, they were like, no, you know, you're not, you don't need to be a lawyer. You need to be a teacher. You're good um, with getting people to understand things and seeing patterns. And I said, well, you know, lawyers do that. They said, no, but the kids, our kids that we're seeing in the court system are not coming from the street or the hood. They're coming from schools. 
And I didn't understand that then. So as I continued, uh, I said, okay, I'll do that. And I went through an alter alternative teacher certification program. And um, that was where it began. So deciding to do that was about being true to the mission. And my purpose here is to inspire people to live their best lives. And a part of inspiring people is being where people need that inspiration. And in education, it's not just the students I'm finding. It's everybody. Wow. So you, this wasn't, teaching wasn't something that you decided when you were a little girl, I'm going to go to school for education. You decided later on after college? Third grade, I wrote an essay at home just for no reason because I thought I have something to say. I shared it with my teacher, Mrs. Bowser. And three things I wanted to be, a teacher, a lawyer, and a writer, just three. And she shared it with some other teachers and I thought, well, maybe these are good ideas. But as I saw what education was like in high school, you know, the glimpse of it I could get, I couldn't see myself being as patient as a lot of the teachers were. And um, a lot of them didn't seem happy. And um, happiness has always been very important to me. Right. So sometimes I, people will say, well, how do you change a career? How do you do this? Or why do you do that? It's because to continue to do the same thing when I know it does not please me is something that I tend not to do. Hmm. So now you've been an educator for about a decade now in the States, and you decided to come to the UAE to be an international teacher. What is, you're laughing already. I wanted to ask, what is your hmm, favorite moment or your favorite experience as an international teacher? Uh, favorite would have to be around um, the the writing, and I taught in a desert school, which would be more like a rural area compared to where I live in the UAE, which is more of a suburban area. If we're, we're trying to correlate with the states, and I taught eleventh grade girls, and. The writing, the way that I taught the process of writing was not something that had been taught before um, to this group of girls. And uh, teaching the writing process was something that made them very angry with me. Um, there was a lot of resistance, especially among the groups, the girls who were like the top students, because they hadn't been challenged in that way before. So. Even with things like comma rules, I introduced some comma rules, and they told me later they thought I had made those up. Oh, wow. Yes, and um, they were very resistant, and they weren't friendly at all. And I remember assigning the first comma assignment, and 
hearing a lot of Arabic. There was a lot of Arabic, and the girls were rolling their eyes. And I mean, you know that in any language, you're right. being called a B or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, whatever you're saying right now, had better have all of the commas in the right place. <laughs> because awesome. my work is due at the end of the period. Wow. And um, after the year later, of course, they're seniors. And, um, but after that process, even um, this year, one of the girls said, I feel like a businesswoman. Wow. And I said, yes, because that's, that's what it is. And so a lot of our girls um, in the school plan to marry after um, high school or sometimes during. The really? Yes, sometimes during. And um, some girls are, you know, saying university. They're planning for university. And what I always say is that whatever it is you plan to do, always remember that a mother is a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Every mother is a businesswoman. And it's important to see that. And if you don't plan to be a mother, life is the decision-making business. And my grandfather said that to us as we grew up, you know, and up. Life is the decision-making business. And at 18, you know, he'd have this talk with you or he'd remind you that that process has begun for you um, in, a, in a more serious way. So that's the fav- my favorite moment of having them tell the teacher the next year about all of the little things about the commas and what they learned and how they remember what to do and how at the end of your, your draft, your essay, you sprinkle in some commas. Mm. And that when you're born, there are a lot of things that happen. People bring things and gifts and there are prayers for you. And you are given a certain amount of commas for your whole life at that time. And you should not squander those commas just via overuse. There are rules. Wow. I wish you were my grammar teacher (laughs) because my writing teacher, because I was one of those ones who comma splices for days. Yes. 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 (laughs) So what made you um, move to the UAE? Why were you interested in coming here? After several traumatic experiences in uh, schools, um, I needed to either leave um, teaching altogether or do it overseas. That was my thought. And one day I got on the elevator and my cousin, we, we got on at the same time, she worked in the middle school part of the school. And she asked, are you coming back? And I said, no, I'm not coming back here. And I said, are you? She said, no, I'm teaching. I'm going to the UAE, and I'm taking my children with me. And I said, I'm in. What is this? I'm Mm. serious. She gave me the recruiter's number, and I contacted um, the recruiter, went through the process up to um, the interview. I did the phone interview, but the interview that would have been in Chicago or New York. 
And they said, well, they couldn't, they would give you a date, but it might be a little bit after that or before that. But, and I was too attached to my job to accept that kind of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go that year. But then by October of the following school year, I went to my principal and said, I'm looking for another job, and I just want you to know. And he was a new principal in the building and in, at that school, and I knew enough about how those things work, and I felt that I anticipated becoming a target for harassment or firing, and I didn't feel like going through that. So I said, I basically went to him in October and said, I'm leaving so that he wouldn't feel the need to target me or have, you know, a team of people, a gang of people target me for removal. And um, then I called the recruiter again. Um, But there was a man who came to our school and he was... He had some kind of nonprofit. They always come to schools and, you know, want you to send them students. And I remember looking at him talk about his life and what he was doing. And this was the end of the day. I was finished with classes. And I thought, this man is happy with what he's doing. And he's not a teacher. He's, it's, it's at the end of the day, and he's all refreshed, and he's clean. And... That, yeah, I went home right after that and called the um, recruiter Mm. to say, I'm in this time and I'm going all the way. And um, why? Because I needed something different. And when people would ask, what do you mean by difference? I don't know. Other than this, (laughs) not this. And so in, in that respect, it's been that kind of experience. Okay. So what has been the most growing experience or the most challenging lesson you've faced while living here? It's been about I know that my willingness to walk alone has been reinforced, underscored, strengthened, and through basically isolation. um, I've had to learn what it's like being around me for people who are not comfortable with themselves. And that's what all of the the traumatic experiences I've experienced in the workplace, generally, they're centered around that. And I had that experience here. And it was much harder to do this in a country where, you know, most of my close friends are not here. You know, none of my close friends are here. I've had to develop what what we call transient relationships. Mm -hmm. And we know that, you know, this person could leave the next day, you know, eventually we're going to leave and go to our respective countries or even cities and not see each other. And I, I was, I call it bullying by exclusion. And I went through that in my department 
And I called my cousin one night and I said, well, well, he was the one, you know, who helped me flip the suit, no, our friend bag. Ah, yes. Okay. So we're still good friends, my, my okay. cousin and I. And um, I told him what was happening and, oh, they're not speaking to me. They're not speaking to me unless no one else is around. So it's as if I'm not there. And when they do speak to me, I don't have any proof that that happened other than, you know, the other person. And um, it was things like that. And I said, so I need to come home. I need, I, I need to come home. I'm, I'm tired of this. I can't do this. And he said, no, you're going to stay because you've run every single time when you've, you haven't done anything wrong. And he said, your crime is being a good teacher. You are an advocate for education and you're about that. And that is the problem. And he said, so no, you're not going to run. As long as they don't put their hands on you, you will stay there. And then I think he hung up on me <laughs> as if, you know, that was, there was nothing else. Class. <laughs> Class. <laughs> That's it. Finished. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. So can you describe your teaching style? Wow. My I, I know you got the girls rolling their eyes at you, but... Just being with you, I know you're an awesome teacher because I've learned quite a bit. How would you describe your teaching style? My teaching style is, okay, students have described it as unconventional. Um, it's flexible. It's creative. It's challenging. Um, It's about authentic assessment. So now that I'm hearing from students who've gone out, they've gone to um, college, and they're in the workplace now, now I'm hearing what they're, they're saying, you taught us as if you were teaching us for the real world. And I always taught, even my 10th graders, as if nobody else was going to teach them and their next teacher would be the freshman year college professor, mm. English. That is how I teach. And these, what we do needs to be, needs to be useful and um, relevant. And it should be righteous. You know, there's an ethical piece that I teach because children now have access to ideas, concepts, images, moving images that we never saw um, growing up. Things that we didn't see, like they can watch on YouTube, they can watch people die. Like, not in a movie, but in real life, they can watch a recording of someone, you know, dying. And so I teach a lot of the ethical piece um, as well. So it's very unconventional, but it's preparing them to be successful in real life, not to just exist. And a lot of what I do is I teach to call forth what students have in them that's a gift. And they'll tell me, and some students will say, well, no, this is not the smart class. And I'll say, I don't believe you mm. because everybody has something in there Everybody brought something to the table. 
Mm-hmm. And that's how I treat. That's My style is more like that potluck. Mm-hmm. And everybody brought their specialty. And it's all good. Wow. So talk about that, the gifts and how to use those gifts and what to look out for. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of listening and observing the first six weeks. And I start with a welcome message. I'm welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And I am. I'm excited about you. I've been waiting the whole summer to meet you. And this is going to be a great experience. Um, and I give the rules. And rule number one is always about respecting yourself and others, um, your family, you know, what your, your family has taught you. And rule number two, I had to start putting it, rule number two is expect to be respected. Hmm. And, a, and a lot of students are put off or thrown off when they see that I'm genuinely concerned about their feelings, um, especially boys, because we, we, we're doing one thing with girls and then another with boys. Right. And they're often surprised when I, when I ask, are your feelings hurt? You know, did, did, are, are, are your feelings hurt? Are we okay? And um, so my style is a lot like that. And um, I started teaching when I was legally homeless. And um, so I've talked often about my best. Sometimes my best wasn't good enough, you know, for bill collectors or, you know, whoever it was. But that was all that I had. Mm -hmm. And... um, so it gave me, I'm sure, a unique perspective in working with students who, you know, gave me their best. And it might not have been the standard, but finding a way to provide that bridge to, to come to that standard, to travel to that standard. Because when you teach high school, people have already been, you know, separated. Students have been separated and, and you've been told, oh, yes, you're gifted. And then the rest of you the implication is that they're not. Mm-hmm. And you, okay, you're smart, you're smart. And then if you haven't been tagged, then you don't feel smart, but you're still in the school system. You're still in the classrooms. So if you're not smart, what are you? And if you're operating under the presumption that you are dumb or stupid, then we're going to have some behavioral problems right. and we're going to have some people aiming low. And it occurred to me, maybe my third year teaching that students who haven't been tagged as gifted or smart, and they are not on that kind of path pathway, they don't even aim for the A's or the high test scores exceeds. They save that space for the other kids when really tagging people as smart or gifted, there's so much movement, there's so much transience in schools now that students can be the brightest students and have some other issues. Maybe they don't have the right kind of clothing Mm -hmm. and um, maybe they um, missed half a semester one year and that threw a lot of things off later on so a bad year in elementary school can affect what happens in middle school and then it sends you into high school feeling 
unprepared, um, unworthy. Mm -hmm. Like who's worthy of the best teachers? Yeah. Who's worthy of the best curriculum? So, you know, those kinds of things are the issues. So I know I'm getting into that, but my style is my style because of that. And I'm very transparent with students um, with um, some of my um, vulnerabilities and things that I don't understand and featuring students as experts in something and letting them learn the skills using what they know, mm -hmm. then that's a win. That's a win for me. I'm learning something new. That's a win for them. They're the experts. There's no way they can fail at that. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to do that and not be bored by a million PowerPoints about something that, you know, people Google, they all Google, Google the same thing. And, right. you know, everybody talks about that. I will, I will never let that happen in my classroom again. Mm. So, yeah. Do you think you're a hard teacher or like one of the easy teachers? It depends on the students and it depends on the lessons. Um, my expectations are high. My expectations are higher generally than the standard because when I set them that high and students just come to the middle, that's still pretty good. Mm. You can still meet your school standard in the middle. But setting it higher, it's almost as if they find that more interesting in the higher realm, whatever the assignment is. I'm famous for getting people to think mm. critically about a situation. Um, but I'm also easy in that I don't have to have you complete 32 assignments during the semester to know whether or not you know it. Mm -hmm. And I do offer options for students to explore a topic and acquire a skill. And to, to, for some students, that's just easier. Um, but in the beginning, most of the students gripe. You know, those first six weeks are difficult. I take out the N-word. I don't allow it in the class. So as I'm giving the rules, and, you know, that's one of the rules, they're just like, no, that's not going to happen. And then I say, I, I love you, um, you're wonderful, I know that you are, and I tell them, and I love what I do. I will not give up in my classroom. I will not lose in my classroom. And I mean that. So they try different things those first six weeks, and sometimes I'm observing because I want to figure out what they want. Mm -hmm. People are misbehaving because they want something. Yeah. And I'm good at figuring out what that is, whether it's attention, validation, love, recognition, appreciation. Mm -hmm. um, we say students, and we forget humans. Right. And the hum humanity is something that we really need to consider um, as we move forward, if we're serious about um, having um, educated people, educated human beings um, come into the workforce or even universities and um, technical schools as, as human beings, we really need to think about that because if they're not coming out as human beings, 
it doesn't matter what job they have, especially as they become parents uh, or even aunties and, and uncles with influence, we need to know what we're expecting of them and we need to cultivate that in them very early on. Mm. What's so beautiful about listening to your teaching style is that I can see it being carried over into the UAE. Well, let me rephrase that. I, I can see you teaching both in the US and in the UAE similarly without needing to change because you're in a different country or because there's this culture barrier. Because what I hear you saying is you pull out every student's best by just accommodating them and giving them room to do their best. That's amazing. That, because like looking at like standardized testing mm -hmm. and I don't I would like to know your view on standardized testing like it's usually we want to pull this one thing out of every student and you can't do that so I I commend you for reaching above our state standards and helping students learn beyond the textbook so that they can excel in life. I, I really commend you. Thank you. are <laughs> welcome. So what is your view on standardized testing? It depends on the standard, and it depends on what we plan to do with that information. And I'm thinking that a lot of us don't know. We don't understand where the standard came from and we don't know what we're going to do with the data. Okay, there are plenty of data meetings. There are, you know, charts, graphs. There are words. I mean, there's term nomenclature that's developed around data. And I will admit to just having fun with this sometimes and just creating terms around it and seeing how long it took a, a, an administrator to start repeating that term, mm -hmm. you know, without any meaning there. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of, there are some things that are taboo attached to standardized testing and uh, the so-called data test scores. And um, there are some games, there's, there's, there's a game afoot Mm -hmm. as, as Holmes would say. And um, a lot of my work within the next few years, I, I plan to have it um, focus on that mm -hmm. because it's a bit of a game. I don't know how much you want to know there. But. That, that's good enough. <laughs> Do you see yourself going back to the States and going back into the classroom? I don't see myself returning to uh, traditional classrooms. Um, right now, I need a break. I need to do some work in other areas. But um, no, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Okay. So, not only are you a teacher and 
a writer and a poet, you're also the creator of Wit and Water. I want to know more about this wit and water because I, I read your site. I do, I have, I have to confess before I interview, connect with anyone, I do like an intense amount of stalking. So I do, <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad thing. I don't think, but I did read on your website that you believe wit and water is well, are life essentials. Why? Well, I start with water. And I think about how most of our bodies um, is water. The, the content is basically water. And uh, most of the planet. And I think of the many forms that um, water takes, you know, whether it's liquid, ice, or even vapor, you know, with a cloud sitting on the ground and, and fog. And um, I think about the Bruce Lee quotation where he, say, he says, be water, my friend. And he's talking about different martial arts forms. And what I've learned about the different forms through this, this journey with my son, I, I never would have known this, this many forms existed. What I've learned is that there are different forms, different styles. There's um, what our, our expression that we bring to that. And so when and wherever we are, there's a place for a martial art. Yeah. So I'm, I, I love yoga. And I'm having the same experience with that. There are different kinds of yoga. And when and wherever we are, there's a place for one of those poses. Mm -hmm. There's a place for one of those styles. And so in the water, what I'm saying is, with the ebb and flow of the ocean, you know, the waves come in, waves come out, it's high tide, it's low tide. Life is that. Low tide, high tide the waves, you know, it's, it's that. And then in all of the moments in between, if we're just water, whatever form we're in, if we're in the ocean at that point, be the ocean. Mm. If we're in um, a pond, do that, you know? And I remember my grandfather saying to me as we were saving to buy a house, he said, well, okay, you take a drip from over here and a drop from over there, sooner or later, you'll have a pond. Hmm. So that's the water. And the wit is whatever sensibilities we bring to this ebb and flow of everything and whatever form of water or place we're in, it's that wit, our learning, our knowledge. I do a lot of round, around um, the nature of knowledge, like how we know what we know, how do we transfer that. Hmm. Okay, and you identify yourself as a teacher warrior. What exactly is a teacher warrior? A teacher warrior is the teacher, specifically, who committed to education um, for the sake of battling ignorance and there's an ignorance that's really about an innocence where you don't even know 
what what it is you need to know. Um, and then there's an ignorance wherein people are comfortable in the ignorance and have begun to glorify um, ignorance. And um, that's one of the ways you subdue people. And so I have lived this life as um, a teacher warrior before I came up with the term, but that person, that teacher is committed to education by any means necessary. And um, the word that one of my administrators used in reference to me is, is relentless. Mm. And that's where I am with that. I am relentless in my commitment to education. Um, the teacher warrior is that human being. And um, oftentimes, you know, I'll, I'll share with students, oh, yes, I was, like, when I went to Paris, one of the things I did, I gathered things for myself and for some family members, but I also chose things that I felt my students would really like. Mm -hmm. And um, so they're always in my mind and... I'm always seeking the best route to them, to inspire them, to motivate them, to teach them. And um, the teacher warrior is fighting that battle against ignorance. The teacher warrior is also fighting that battle against maybe even some coworkers, mm. some principles, some policies um, that politicians have signed off on. Um, the teacher warrior today is also battling um, hip-hop and a lot of the icons in entertainment industry because whatever problem we're having in our society, all of it ends up in the classroom. And people don't understand that. The classroom is a direct reflection of what's going right in our culture and what's going wrong. And so in a classroom, you will find um, the transgender student. You'll find the student who is maybe being physically abused, mentally abused, verbally. Um, you find the student who is maybe dating a step parent um, and maybe sexually involved with that person. You find the student who's never been told he's worth anything or that he's handsome or that she's beautiful. You have the poverty-stricken student. We have homeless students all in the same classrooms. Mm -hmm. So the teacher warrior is battling um, on many different fields. And um, so that's why I'm focusing on this particular archetype in our education right now. Okay. So with wit and water and being a teacher warrior, what's your vision to, on how to survive the war against teachers? It depends. And I, I plan to cover this from the different perspectives, but to start with um, teacher warriors themselves. And a lot of the, what we see in the exodus from um, education, how many teachers have just left um, the country. I mean, what would drive this many people from their 
homes, people who owned homes and had, you know, very lengthy careers in their um, school systems, what would make them come to another country and um, bring their families? And for many of them, things were so chaotic um, in their respective school systems or in the schools that they had worked in that even the unknown, even the thing that they could not even imagine was a better destination than where they had called home. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting there. But my vision is to have Witten Water serve as a platform where all people from all aspects of education can be truthful in their experiences and talk about what it is that is happening and what needs to happen in um, their personal experiences. I don't expect um, to solve everything in at one point or even solve anything every time I post in Wit and Water. What I do expect is an exploration because people as teachers, we see society, we see things occurring in society that most people don't realize. They think that as long as there's their school reports good test scores and their children get good grades, that everything is okay. And that as long as the school is pretty and the grounds are immaculately maintained, mm -hmm. that everything is okay. And um, I see some things that are just declines in our society, even in, in you know, popular schools, um, successful schools. I see some declines that will affect us socially um, in terms of, I go back to the growth of humanity. There are some things that are deteriorating and we need those things to survive. We need people to be able to, to know what compassion is mm -hmm. and how are you, because usually we would be able to try to negotiate with someone and say, well, think of your mother, you know, and what if, what if this was your mother? What right. would you, and many of them don't have relationships with their mothers now mm. that would be an example for why they should not, you know, hurt or harm you. Um, so we're, we're losing a lot of ground in that sense. And I think it's worth looking at and exploring. Mm. Wow. So where do you see yourself a year from now being a teacher warrior and with wit and water? I'm right now working on transitioning to a location independent lifestyle. So I'm scheduled to leave UAE and I think about a week to go home. No. Yes. And Don't go. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I've had to pack things and sell things. And it's one of my least favorite things about coordinating a move. But I spent um, about a decade in the States um, before coming here 
doing that, uh, moving from one place to another. A lot of it was just, you know, finding a job, being close to the job. Um, much of that time, I was not some of that time, enough of it to have really made a difference was being um, legally homeless, as I mentioned, and just trying to work around that and being a mom, being a teacher. Um, it was very exhausting. So here I am now saying, well, I've come here. I've only been here two years, and yet I've amassed all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just having to look at what I allow through the door and um, what I do to keep how to not so that I'm not a hoarder. <laughs> I found that's out. a good thing. <laughs> I found out that you know there's a show there are shows about that now, yes. and and I'm I'm that one with the storage space and how my things need a place to live when I'm legally homeless and my things need a place to live. Something's wrong with that picture. Right. So I've learned a lot about attachment mm -hmm. and um, non-attachment in the past month, and I'm so much closer to that location-independent lifestyle. And I do want to continue to travel internationally and look at um, not just formal education, but how people prepare their children for adulthood. Mm. And I think one of my, no, I, I don't think this, I know, one of my biggest problems or concerns about education right now as I know it is that students are oftentimes being educated away from themselves. They're being presented with curricula that are, you know, irrelevant um, and not things that um, work with um, themselves and preparing them for the next um, journey, the next part of their journeys. In the natural world, you know, animals train their young for the most part. They train them, you know, this is how you hunt, this is how you, you know, make a place to live, you know, that kind of thing. If it's not, you know, that presentation where the parent is doing that, then there's instinct. But because much of what we need to survive now is counterintuitive and it's not instinct. We should be teaching people, our, our children, how to um, be successful in the world. Mm -hmm. But when you ask little girls what they want to be and you're in kindergarten and then third grade and fifth grade and, and they still want to be a princess. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have concerns about that mm -hmm. and what that means. And then there's girls who still want to be a princess change their answer as they get older to words that still mean princess. And um, so that's one of the archetypes I'm very concerned about um, in our classrooms. So I see myself um, finding, learning how people prepare their um, children for life because that's what education to me should be about yes. and um, I want to travel and look at how people do that in other countries in their formal schooling and how they do that through the family so that's a lot of what I've learned with UAE in UAE how 
much of this, um, the education and what the girls know comes from the family, a very close-knit family. And um, it just so much of what I have seen makes me look at my family and go, okay, I need to do some work mm -hmm. with my family. And um, I felt that before, and now I see how serious it is having been a teacher for this time, but also having come here. Hmm. Well, Miss Sharon Jackson, you are in luck because now this is like one of my favorite segments of Connect with the Podcast. I have this plane and we can go anywhere in the whole wide world. Somebody went to space. Another person went to heaven. Both awesome experiences. Um, so today we can go anywhere in the world you would like to go. And when we get to this place, we will meet the people who have inspired your artistry. They can either come with us or they can already be there. I can just send another plane, whatever. So where are we going and who are these people? Mm. Our destination is bliss. Hmm. Bliss. People. Hmm. I'll now, wait. You're going to have to expound upon that. Bliss is the uninterrupted, the, the purest happiness, peace, satisfaction that there is. And so that's the destination. Okay. It's usually, okay. you know, those concentric circles that bring us from our outer bodies, our, our physical bodies. And then through our mental, emotional, but then that bliss, that the ultimate um, achievement and just to be. And mm. no, no lacking, no hurting, no pain, no confusion, no thinking, 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 no, no. Bliss. Okay. We can go there. Bliss. I like that. And who will we meet there? Hmm. Well, I've been planning this party. Mm -hmm. And I just want my most influential, my, the people who, who get me, I get them. Mm -hmm. We're not in touch every day or every month, but we're alike in so many ways. And when we're together, we're not the outlier. We just belong. And so those are my people. Okay. Anyone in particular? I was afraid you might say that. And then, because, you know, if I leave out any name and then, you know, people will be looking at me funny when I get off the plane, I might not have a ride home. Let's see. Mm. I would want my. It's kind of hard. Mm. I, 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 it's hard for me to name a name. I'm just going to do my friends. 
family, you know who you are. You know, I mean you. you it's implied. It's a given. Right. Right. What's your cousin's name? He's our, he knows he's good. Rodney. 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 Shout out Rodney. You know you are her people. She got much love for you. So don't get in your feelings. You okay. Yes. So we covered that. And wow, um, Stephanie um, is a co-worker, former co-worker. And um, we just went on a journey together um, after realizing where we were working. And um, her room was next to mine, her classroom. And we did a lot of the work of understanding what was happening in education. We did a lot of that work together. And I remember during one conversation, she said, I said, I just did do all of the things I do because I, I want my administrators to understand I'm committed to education and I, I do want to move up and do some other things for the school. And, and I just want them to know I'm capable. And she said, they know that. Mm. But that's not why you were brought here. You were brought to do the work. Mm -hmm. And they have their friends and their fraternity and sorority people who will do, who will be promoted. Mm -hmm. But you are expected to do the work. And so during that talk, we just had so much, um, so many aha moments in figuring out where we were and what it was all about. And um, so Stephanie, definitely, and um, Matthew. Matthew was, he's, he's, he's linguistically, you know, mathematically, he, he has it all. And um, he came into a school I was working in and was working with students with, with a math, a math program. And um, we became um, fast friends. He, he gets my humor. I get his. We're, we're very quick. Um, we, we study situations, people quickly. So definitely Matthew. And um, yeah, he, he became a teacher. Like the year that I was here, um, I had to call and say, um, I, I needed. I wanted a picture of him um, before class started on mm -hmm. his first day, and I said because after you know those first moments, you're different. Mm -hmm. You're going to be different. You're going to look different. This changes everything. And he's a bright man, um, just brilliant. Um, and as is Stephanie, and these are people who could do anything they want to in the world and they chose education it, it was not a, a default yeah. um occupation and my students often ask me like why are you a teacher why so because they get it I, I could I could do other things but this is the most important um work so those two teachers Jennifer saying it's funny that a lot of my close friends are like um, co-workers that I met like right before mm -hmm. I came over here. Um, Jennifer has the biggest heart and is also open to this. And I think we're going to teach internationally um, somewhere within the next few years. And um, probably not for me, a long contract somewhere, mm -hmm. but 
we're going to teach globally. She has that spirit, that wanderlust. So a lot of what I do is for her, who just believed from the moment that I told her, I'm going to do this. She's like, okay, and was very, very supportive right away. So definitely them. Um, and then there's a special someone. I won't name him. Uh-oh. But, yeah, he needs some bliss right now. Okay. Um, so I would definitely take him so he knows he knows who he is okay well stephanie jennifer matthew i cannot wait to oh and this special someone i cannot wait to enjoy bliss with you and cousin rodney please pick miss sharon up from the airport Okay, Ms. Sharon, you have been amazing. Can you share just a few words of wisdom for any teacher who's thinking about going international or any yogi instructor or any poet, teacher warrior, anyone you feel who may need some words of encouragement or wisdom, can you give us some words right now? No matter how good it seems or how bad it seems or how good it is or how bad it is, it's not over. Mm. It is not over. It's not over yet. And that next day, that next moment for you belongs to you. It, it, it's your turn. It's your time. And I know this because... I have lived this and I continue to live this. Wow. Okay. It's not over. Hmm. Well, Miss Sharon, we have connected so deeply and I really appreciate every moment from the time I met you till now to the future. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so where can I see you? Where can the connectors find you? Any websites, any upcoming events, maybe um, speaking engagements? Okay, yes, we're working on those now. We're, we're booking right now. So I'll need to talk with my assistant to find out what that schedule looks like for when I get home. And um, right now, with um, Wit and Water, we're going to relaunch and invite you. So um, let's look for Wit and Water right now. And um, that's how people can find me right now. And just think about what you need. And I'm happy to at least consider it. And let's do a strategy, strategy session together and go from there. Okay. So is it witandwater.com? Yes. Okay. Any email addresses? Facebook, Twitter? Uh, Facebook. I'm Sharon Jackson. And you can, you'll see my picture. And I'm that Sharon Jackson. And um, I look forward to speaking with you um, and listening to you. All right. Well, connectors, if you are ready to invest in the success of your conference, district, or school, connect with Sharon Jackson. And you know how to connect with me. Find me on AmpsConnected.com. 
email me, amsconnected at gmail.com. I am also on Instagram at amsconnected or Twitter, A-M-P-S-C-N-X-T-D. Stay connected.